Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. of uh, Proverbs, because we're spending most of our time there. If you've got your Bible, keep it open, you'll let it open. If you've not met me before, my name's Peter, and it is great to be with you. And uh, how about we uh, pray and we'll get into God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your Word is a light to our feet. Uh, as we start this new year, as we consider our own lives, your life really, that, that you gifted us. Father, we pray we'd honour you with it and serve you honourably. Amen. Now, one thing that any builder will tell you is that it really matters how you build. And it matters that you build carefully if you're going to build something that lasts. It doesn't matter if you're building a bridge or if you're building a house or if you're building a road. You've got to get it right and get it right first time. Pretty obvious stuff. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, today we are going to be looking at this chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs. And it comes at the end of the book of Proverbs. And as I look at the book of Proverbs, it is a book. Well, it's a book about building about building a life. And as it talks about building a life, it is a fair bit like building a house, in the sense that when you build a house, there are certain things you've just got to get right. There is stuff that you cannot afford to make mistakes with. But on the other hand, there are some things that just aren't so crucial that you have some flexibility with. So, for example, the sort of things that you've just got to get right when you build a house are things like the foundations, about laying the slab, about putting the framework up, getting the structural beams right. Like These are the crucial things that you've just got to get right, otherwise the whole house will collapse. But after you've done all that hard work, once you've got the foundations and the framework in place, well, then the rest is kind of, well, it's sort of up to you. You can have a brick veneer house or a weatherboard house you can have a tiled roof or a tin roof you can have a blue house or a red house doesn't really matter at that point and sure there are some choices that are more sensible than others i mean if you build a house in australia with low ceilings a tin roof no insulation and no fly screens then doesn't make a whole lot of sense does it i mean you could do it It's not as if their house would fall down. It's just not a very sensible or wise choice. And the process of building, that kind of process of building, is pretty much like the book of Proverbs as it talks about building a life. There are certain things as you build a life that you've just got to get right. And then there are other things that you have some flexibility over. You've got to get the foundations right. And the book of Proverbs keeps teaching us that the foundation upon which to build a life is the fear of the Lord. And on top of that foundation, there is a framework that you then also need to get right. The framework of righteousness, of love, of faithfulness, and of justice, and of personal integrity. A framework that really flows directly out of fearing the Lord in the first place. And if a life is going to stand up, these things absolutely need to be in place. But once that is in place, then you have a bit of flexibility within how you build your life on top of that. And Proverbs is full of 
Well, it's full of lots of helpful observations about the regularities of life. So it can help you make some sensible decisions upon which you build. But there can be a fair bit of flexibility. And so throughout the book of Proverbs, what you see is, well, it's full of Proverbs about foundations, about things that you have to get right to build wisely. And then on top of that, lots of, lots of flexibility, lots of, lots of insights. And this morning, as we, well, New Year, 2023, you're kind of building your life on the fly. Uh, let's, have a look at, uh, let's have a look at building our life today, have a look at the book of Proverbs. Now, one of the great things, though, about the book of Proverbs is that after having spent serious time teaching you about the foundations and then giving you great proverbial wisdom of how to build your life on top of those foundations, at the end of the book, the whole book of Proverbs closes with some case studies of people who have built a life and who have built it well. And if I can just push the building a home metaphor just a little bit harder, the book of Proverbs kind of ends with a number of show homes. A number of show homes where you can walk through someone else's life they've built. And like walking through a show home, you go, gee, that'd go really well in my life. I should do that in my life. And we have a number of show homes or show lives to look through. Some display homes, if I can call that, display lives. And what we're going to do today is look at one of the display homes or the display life of a man named Agur or Agar, however you say his name, Agur. Uh, Because of time, we're not going to walk through his whole house. All we're going to do is two things. We're going to look at his foundations that he's laid because you've got to get that right. And secondly, we're just going to look at one room, one small room in his life, in his life that he's built. Um, so firstly, let's look at the foundations. And I think the first thing to notice as we look at the foundations in this, this guy's life, in Agur's life, is, well, the first thing to notice is that this man, Agur, this is the Old Testament, right? But he's not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He actually kind of reveals that with his name and a little bit of the stuff. But look at what he says in verse 2. Get your Bibles open. Proverbs chapter 30. Look at verse 2. He says there, Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained the knowledge of the Holy One. Now, friends, that's exactly the sort of stuff you would expect a Gentile a non-Jewish person to be saying in the Old Testament. Because a Gentile background, in their upbringing, as they grew up, they knew nothing about the God of Israel. They knew nothing about Exodus or the Ten Commandments or or Moses. They knew none of that sort of stuff. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes Old Testament Gentiles as being far from God, outsiders to the promises of God. And that's exactly what Agur sounds like here. He describes himself as... I don't have understanding. I have no knowledge of the Holy One. He's a Gentile in Old Testament times, but he is searching. And he is searching for the meaning of life. It's no wonder, he says, look at verse 4. It's no wonder in his search, he says, look at verse 4. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. 
Uh, this guy, Agur, realises that if he's going to become wise in the world, he's going to have to have a teacher who knows what he's talking about. And he thinks, oh, you can't get a better teacher than the maker of the universe himself. That's got to be the one who knows how to live. And then he goes, if I can't have that, well then at least I, at least I could have his son, someone very close. Perhaps if I could get his son, that would be really helpful. And so Agar has this question on, who on earth is that? Who did establish the ends of the earth? Who has gone up to the heavens and come down? What is his name or the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Now at this point, some of you should be sitting in your seats bursting going, hey, hang on, I know. <laughs> Pick me, I, I know who it is. That's Jesus. Jesus is exactly the person Agar is really calling out for help from. Jesus, as we know, he came down from heaven. He is the son of the maker who established the heavens and the earth. This side of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection as he's an ascension, it, it's a no-brainer for us. You want to know how to build a life, you go to Jesus. He's going to know. But spare a thought for poor old Agur here as he's trying to build his life. He's on the other side of the cross, other side of Christmas, right? other side of the incarnation of Jesus. He's a Gentile searching for meaning, the meaning of life in Old Testament times. But God is good. As he say, um, seek and you will find. And Agur finds. Look at verse 5 and 6. Get your Bibles. Look at verse 5 and 6. This is what Agur's worked out. He says, verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he'll rebuke you and prove you a liar. Now, one of the things to note with those two verses is that, that they are quotes. Verse 5 is a quote from Psalm 18. Verse 6 is not so much a direct quote, but a very strong echo of Deuteronomy chapter 4. In other words... Think about it. As Agar searches for wisdom, his search leads him to the Old Testament. This Gentile in his brought, is brought in his search for wisdom. He's brought to the inspired scriptures of Israel and there he discovers that God's word is perfect, that nothing needs to be added to it. Or to put it another way, a Gentile discovers the foundations of how to build a life. And the foundations are the fear of the Lord. And hearing therefore what the Lord has to say in his word. Here are the foundations, God and his word. His word is flawless, it is perfect. You don't need to add to it. It has everything you need to build a life. And Agur says as you build a life, here is where you'll find safety. Here's where you can take refuge. And as we start 2023, and as I'm hoping you're beginning to kind of Reflect and go, how am I building my life? Is this the foundations you have? It's interesting to hear that as we live this side of the cross of Jesus, that Jesus is spoken as the word become flesh. He is the word of God. He is the foundation upon which you can build your life. Is he your foundation? What place does he and his word have really in your life? Because in 2023, if you're going to build well, 
you simply need to make time for God's word in your life. Now the problem that most of us have with making time for God's word in our life is we often feel like we're too busy. Um, A lot of people are busy. But I don't think that's really a, um, a problem. It's really an excuse. That I'd, I'd love to read God's word more. I'd love to, to meditate on it more deeply. But I mean, life is hectic. Life is busy. But I want to say busyness is an excuse. It, actually, the hard issue is a matter of desire. Have you ever noticed that people always make time for what they desire? Now, I've met lots of very busy people. They work hard. They've got hectic jobs. They, they bear lots and lots of responsibility. And really, when it comes to nighttime, they should be in bed getting enough sleep. But there's this program on Netflix or whatever TV show they're streaming or whatever it is. And they're going, oh, but I really should be in bed because I've got so much responsibility. But I really desire this program I'm just hooked on. And I'll stay up beyond my bedtime to watch that because, well, because you always make time to do what you desire, don't you? Even if you're hectic even if you're busy. The issue is so much, not so much busy people can't manage to find time to, to, deep, to, to dig deeply into God's word, to build their life properly. What the issue is, is desire. And maybe one of the things you need to work on in your life this year is growing a, a desire. A desire to build your life more carefully on the word of the Lord as the foundation upon which you, you build it. Work on your desires. Okay. Now, having laid the foundation, in the rest of this chapter, Agur then gives us some lessons that he's found that are really helpful upon which you build upon that, upon that foundation. And like I said, in this display home, there's a number of rooms, and we're not going to look into every room it may be worth your time this week to meditate and look deeply into the rest of the chapter and have a look at his whole display home. We're just going to focus in on verses 24 to 28. Just a few small verses here, just a very small room in this display home. And just look at some of the lessons he's learned as he's built on that foundation. And in those verses, he tells us that we need to look carefully and learn the wisdom from four very small, weak vulnerable creatures and that as you build your life if you pay attention to these creatures it'll help you build well he wants you to pay attention to the ant the hyrax and i know you're sitting there thinking what in the world is that but we'll get to that the locust and the lizard firstly the ant let's wander into this display room look at verse 24 he says four things are small yet they are extremely wise Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store their food, they store up their food in the summer. Okay, what are you to learn here? What's the wisdom? What you're to learn here from the ants is to think of the future. It's to take the time to think about what's coming and then plan for it. The ants we're told here are creatures of very of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. God has made these little creatures, ants, so wise and so thoughtful that they gather up their food in the summer. They're not idle. They're not lazy. In summer, they go around and find all the food they can find. And then they exercise great self-control. 
great discipline. They don't sit back and have a feast. No, 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 they bring it back to their nests. They store it up there so that when the wind and the frost and the snow come in winter, they won't starve. They can be warm and snug and well-fed in their nests. Now, what am, I, what am I about to say? I'm not a vet, nor am I a botanist, so what I say next may not hold much weight. But think of butterflies. They're much prettier than ants. They have beautiful wings. They come in all sorts of colours. They look great. But butterflies, poor creatures, they're not as wise as ants, are they? They fly among the flowers, they enjoy themselves all summer, they never think of gathering food for the winter. And when winter comes, do you see any butterflies? They're dead. Whereas the ants, warm and snug with all their food. Now we do need to learn from the ants as we build our lives. We need to be like them. And we need to be like them in this way, about thinking about the future. But not naively or just... Just simply thinking about the future, you need to think about a critical time in the future. That's what the ants do. They think of a critical time of the future when their very existence is under threat. That is the future you need to think about. Not just any time in the future, the time in the future when your very existence is under threat. Now, what's that time that if you're going to learn from these ants, you need to consider? Oh, we easily think that's the time when I'm going to die. That's part of the answer. But the scriptures are far more careful to listen to here. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. You need the plan to be ready to die, but beyond that, you need to be ready to face God's judgment on you. And you need to learn from the ants to be prepared for that, to be ready for that critical time of your existence. And brothers and sisters, there's only one way you can be prepared for that moment. And that is to have your sins forgiven. As we're thinking about life and building a life, you need to recognise that all of us in our own various ways have stolen our life, right? Our life is not our own, but you know, we are born and we put our name on our life and we basically say to God, that life, that's mine now. And I'm going to do with my life what I want to do with my life. It's not your life. You've stolen it. It was given to you. And you need to give it back. And you need to say you're sorry. And you need to stop living for yourself and living for the God who's actually whose life it really is. That he's gifted to you. And to prepare yourself not just to die, but to face the judgment that's going to come. You need forgiveness. That's why I had that reading from John read, right? Uh, the second reading in the New Testament where at the end there in John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, whoever believes in the Son, that is whoever believes in Jesus, oh, they'll have eternal life. They're ready. They're prepared. They're forgiven in Christ. But then it says, but whoever rejects the Son, whoever rejects Jesus will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. That if you reject Jesus, you are completely unprepared. You're like the butterfly. You're not as wise as the ant. And look, when is the best time to get prepared? Did you notice the verse? You read the verse carefully. It says that the ants gather their food in the summer. 
Now, where does the summer of your life? Here's what I think. Summer is when you're young. It's when you're strong and when you're often healthy. It's when you have plenty of time ahead of you, where you have fewer worries and troubles in life to distract you. It's a time where you can make decisions that have very long-term effects on your life. When you are young is the best time to be prepared. Now, if you're here today and you're a little older, the great news is God is gracious. You can still receive a pardon for forgiveness of sins when you're older, absolutely. But it's best to be prepared when you're young. Because winter is coming. The winter of old age. When the frost and the rain and the snow are about to set in, where sorrow, disappointments, frustration, sickness, death, this all comes with older age. We're so much better off when we prepare early. For it means when those frustrations and pains come, when your life ebbs away slowly, you know that you are ready for eternity. Now one of the great challenges that we face as we learn from the ant is to resist, one of the challenges we face is the culture we live in. This is a challenge you will face if you are here today and you are, you are already a Christian. But this is also a challenge that you'll face quite similarly even if you're here today and you're still investigating Jesus and you're not, you're not yet a Christian. You'll face this one from a different perspective, but this challenge we face is that we live in a world deeply committed to the idea that this life is all there is. Deeply committed, therefore, to focusing all your energies on the here and now, into the material and earthly, into being like butterflies, where everything that matters is just the immediate. We need to stop thinking short term and think about long term and not just think long but think eternity long term and what can so often have is that christians themselves can so easily be drawn into mimicking the obsession that our world has around us the succession of comfort and success and status and money and just pursuing the idea that all you live for is the here and now but the gospel of jesus christ tells us this world is not our home. It's actually no one's home. That way of living is foolish. And if you are investing all your time and energy and efforts purely in the temporary and the transitory, you're, you're a butterfly. That's what our world is, is a butterfly. You need to be like the ant and play the long game, the eternity game. And if you're going to live wisely with eternity in mind, how do you live that life? Well, let's look at the second animal. The other animals are shorter, so don't, don't be too nervous. The other, look at the second animal here. In this display room, there's not just ants. There's these hyraxes. Now, in case you're worrying about a hyrax, this is where I've got one on the screen. That's a hyrax, okay? You've got to be thinking like a guinea pig, or it's actually like a rock badger, that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. And they are wise. They are, why are they wise? Well, look at verse 26. Stop looking at the picture. Get into your Bibles. Look at verse 26. Hyraxes are creatures of little power. Yet they make their home in the crags. Hyraxes are creatures of little power. Yet they make their home in the crags. What are you to learn? Well, you must learn from the hyrax to have a safe place to run in a time of danger. That's what you're to learn. They are weak creatures. 
against most things that prey on them, they are pretty much indefensible. Like guinea pigs, they are mincemeat for foxes, for dogs, for wolves. And even though they are so vulnerable, they are so safe. And why? Because they make their home in the cracks. They make their home on very difficult places to get to, on steep rocky outcrops. They go where things that hunt them down can't get them. They go where foxes and dogs cannot follow them. And when, whenever there is danger, they just, they just run to these homes, which means they're never far away from the place of safety. They don't need to be very fast. They don't need to be very strong. They just need to be close to the place of safety. And so the lesson from the Hyrax is, I take it as easy. And the lesson is this, you need a safe place to run in the time of danger. And the key is not to drift too far from that place of safety. And Agar is a wise man who found God, knew this. He knew that if you were going to take God seriously and fear the Lord and have him as your master and you were going to follow God, that you were going to have enemies. He knew that. And so you'll need a safe place to run to. We who also know God through Jesus, we know this too, that if you're a follower of God, if Jesus is your Lord and you serve him, then you'll have enemies. Some of them not so obvious. One enemy may be surprising. Enemy is kind of yourself in some ways, your own heart, that your own heart within you that's not always working for your good. There's a battle going on there where you're fighting the hardness of your own heart towards God with the help of God's spirit. But it's not just the sin within you that you battle with. Of course, there's the devil. He's an enemy. You never see him, but he's at work seeking to ruin your life and take you to hell. Of course, there's that third enemy, which is the world around us, right? Full of temptations, full of people that want you to join in with them, living for themselves rather than living for, rather than living for Jesus. So as disciples of Jesus, you'll have enemies, absolutely. And the wise person needs to learn from the hyraxes they have a safe place to run. A safe place to run which will save you from the evil in your heart, keep you safe from the devil and save you from the bad example of the world. And the good news in the gospel is that there is such a safe place. It's kind of a person, not so much a place, isn't it? It's Jesus himself. He is strong enough to save you, strong enough to protect you. He's come down from heaven and died on the cross because he loves us. His spirit indwells in his people to deal with their hard hearts. He's for you. He is the safe place. And Jesus will not allow sin, the world and the devil to ruin your eternity. He will personally see to it that all who come to him will overcome. And all who trust him and follow him will be in heaven with him forever. The key though, of course, is not drifting far from the safety of that place, that person, that Jesus. Sticking close to him. And Agar had worked this out. And I reckon if an Old Testament guy who's not even a Jewish person can work out you don't want to stray too close, too far away from, from, from God and his word and, from, and, I think, and also from his people. He must have been hanging out with a number of other Jewish people to keep himself safe, you know, who were also wanting to fear the Lord. Man, if he can work that out, Surely this side of the cross we can. And I'm wondering if at this point, this chapter offers for a lot of us its most pressing lesson. That if an Old Testament Gentile can feel so passionately about keeping close to the Lord, how much more should we feel that for Jesus? 
it is foolishness beyond belief to drift unsafely away from him. And so whatever you do in this, this world in 2023, there is no group of friends, no matter how enjoyable, there is no relationship, no matter how attractive, no hobby or sport or pastime, no matter how much fun it is, that should ever make you drift far from Jesus. You ought to be doing whatever it takes to stay close to Jesus. I think 2020, 20, uh, 2023, this, this month, would be a good time, here's one application in some ways, to do an audit on your friendships. Now, if you've not considered what friendship is, friendship is influence. That's what friendship is, it's influence. Either your friends will influence you more than you influence them, or to go the other way around, you will be the friend that influences them more than they influence you. Do an audit on your friendships and try and work out which way is the influence going. Because if the influence is going that your friends influence you more than you influence them, and their influence isn't pro-Jesus, then you need to walk away from that friendship. Because that's taking you and drifting you away from the place of safety. If your influence over them is greater than or is bigger than their influence over you and your influence is pro-Jesus, oh man, you've got to keep that friendship. Because they need a safe place to go to. And they need to learn from the end. Because they've got to face eternity. But audit your friendships and try and work. Is this taking me further away from Jesus or drawing me closer to it? Do an audit on your friendships. And be honest with yourself. Okay, it's the second animal. How am I going for time, Andy? Quickly. Let's do it quickly. Okay. Proverbs, look at uh, the third animal, the locust. Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs 30, verse 27. Locusts, it says. Locusts have no kin, yet they advance together in ranks. Now, what's this revealing to us? What do we need to take heed of here? I think the lesson is that locusts thrive because they stick together. They do not fight one another, they help each other. And their unity means that they are able to achieve a lot. Locusts are powerful, even though they are small, even though they are fragile. They're like a grasshopper. Locusts are like a grasshopper. Um, a littlest of kids could step on a grasshopper and kill it. By themselves, if you just had one, they are weak, they are, they are poor, they are not a threat at all, but yet together, gee, they're powerful, and they are a threat. And they thrive. And they thrive because they always stick together. And the emphasis here, the fascinating emphasis here, is that they are able to do that even though they have no king, it says. No king. The locusts have no one telling them what to do. No one to rule them. And yet they know that fighting each other is stupid. That quarrelling is wicked. That fits of rage are out of place. And that division will ruin them. They have learnt to be of one mind to overlook bumping into each other as they swarm together. They keep their mind fixed on the task at hand and they're not overly sensitive towards one another. And the point is that the locusts, they have no king and yet they can pull this off. I find it interesting that Agar at this point doesn't point to bees because they're just as small, just as well, very industrious as well, yet they have a queen bee directing the affairs. 
Why does he point to the locusts and not the bees? I think it's partly because locusts can just wreak so much more devastation than bees do. Bees just make honey where locusts can destroy entire crops. But I think the other thing is that a bee by itself can still sting you. It still has some kind of arsenal or weaponary or it's still somewhat powerful in and of itself. Whereas a locust is just nothing by itself. They are useless by themselves. And I think the lesson here for us, the point that Agar is making is that, well, if you're someone who follows God like Agar or in today's church terms, if you're a Christian, a Christian by themselves, it's like a locust by themselves. Vulnerable, weak, unable to, to, to do anything. But working together with other followers of God, putting aside the differences, getting rid of quarrelling and arguing and infighting, overlooking, bumping into one, in, one another, not being overly sensitive in the language of the New Testament, being gracious to each other and treating each other better than you deserve to be treated, that bond of peace, that is the lesson we need to take to heart. And the point is also that if a locust can pull this off without a king, then how much more should we be able to pull it off if we've got a king as great as Jesus, who is gracious and overlooking and uh, gracious and kind and generous to us? If they can pull it off without a king and we've got a king like Jesus, how much more? And look, our vision here at Salt Church is to see a, a lifelong flood of disciples. And a passage like this is going, gee, you can undo that work if, well, you don't join in with everyone else in community. Or you self-sabotage that by being the divisive, argumentative, difficult person. We all bring lots of differences, but we need to be generous, kind, gracious. That is the way we will see a lifelong flood of disciples. And you'll be amazed how, my, how much how many disciples and how deep disciples we can make together as we, as we work together in that unified learning from the locusts. All right, last thing very quickly, the lizard. This is, the, I've been, this is enigmatic. I'm not quite sure what to do with this one. It is difficult. You read it with me. A lizard can be caught in the hand, yet it's found in king's palaces. And I'm going to bed at night going, what's the lesson here? I just can't work this one out. Um... It can be caught in the hand. It's not a threat. It's not dangerous. It's not particularly afraid of you. It's meek. It's harmless. It can be caught in the hand. Yet it's bold and shrewd. It's elusive even. You know, kings, they don't want lizards in their palaces. What's a lizard in the palace? But the lizard is so shrewd that it, can, it comes across innocent and meek and harmless. Innocent as a dove. But that allows it to be so bold and to be in places where not even kings want them to be. In a palace of all places. If it was a cockroach, right, you get the exterminator in and kill the lot. But no one does that for lizards, right? Because they're lovely. They, you know, they walk in your hand and well, do they? Want it? But they thrive, even where they're not wanted. I think is the lesson. I think it's a little bit like uh, Christians in China. You know, I think that's where my mind went to. Christians in China, where the state, the state of China, didn't want. Uh, one of the state-run, they don't want religion, it's communists, they don't want Christians. There's only state churches that you can go to. And so what are Christians going to do? They're not wanted. So they formed all these house churches and went kind of underground. And they kind of, they are, they're there in vast numbers. And there's more people getting converted in China than kind of anywhere else in the world at the moment. You kind of go, 
they, they, the country doesn't want them there, but they are thriving because they're shrewd, they're innocent, they're bold, even in the king's palace. I think very quickly the lesson for us, friends, is that you live in a society at the moment where it's so easy to get hemmed in because our culture is becoming more and more hostile towards genuine Christianity. And the temptation is I'm just going to be quiet and keep my private Christianity to myself because they don't want us in schools, they don't want us in politics, they don't want Christians um, to just keep your Christianity to yourself. Friends, don't get hemmed in. Learn from the lizard. Be wise, be be shrewd. Humble, innocent, yet bold. Never ashamed. Be very open and public with your Christianity. Because remember the ant. People need to prepare for the winter. Remember the hyrax. Others around us in our society need a safe place and they need to hear, hear us boldly speak about Jesus. And remember the locusts, that we will reach more people as our world gets more hostile if we do it together. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet. Father, we pray that we would learn from these animals. Help us to build our lives this year wisely, carefully, on the foundation of your word, that we might love you and honour you. Amen.